Folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, September the 23rd, 2020. This is episode 2737 of the Survival Podcast, and it is interview day. I have one of my favorite people of all time to bring online with you today, a recurring guest and member of the Expert Council. His name Dr. Ken Berry. We're going to be talking about the keto diet today, but as you will hear today, Ken has stopped calling it keto, other than when referring to it in passing. He now refers to it what it really is, at least in my opinion and his opinion as well, the proper human diet. The diet that human beings ate most of our existence before the modern systems. When we were hunter-gatherers, what we ate was far closer to keto than anything Uh, else that people tend to eat today, certainly far more so than the processed crap that most people consume on a daily basis. We're even going to talk today a little bit about what I would call the Asian paradox, where people in Asia, they eat all this rice and fish, and look how healthy they are. Are they really? And you'll find out in a bit. We'll have Ken on in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Western Botanicals. I'm a huge fan of herbal medicine. I really am. So when Western Botanicals approached me all the way back in 2010 and said we want to sponsor the show, it was really a great match, especially when I found out I was not dealing with, as so often is the case in the world of herbal medicine, snake oil salesmen. I was dealing with real people that really cared about me and really cared about my audience and wanted to do a good job, wanted to help put an herbalist in every home in America. That is a big goal, and they do a good job at trying to make it happen. You'll find out more about them at Western Botanicals. Dot com, where if it's legal and herbal in the United States, you'll find it there, and it will either be a wild-crafted or organically grown. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. Look, I always refer to Bulk Ammo. It's a place where you get the other precious metal, also known as copper-jacketed lead. Your gun without ammo is what? You know the answer by now if you've been listening in a while. A really expensive club. It doesn't do jack-diddly crap that a gun is supposed to do. You can, maybe you could sell it. Maybe you can use it to get yourself shot by somebody who thinks you pointed it at them. But you can't do what a gun is supposed to do, including putting meat on the table or practice and train properly without ammo for your weapons. So check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. The shipping at BulkAmmo.com is ridiculously, stupidly fast. It's I, I don't know if maybe they have some kind of deal with the post office the way that Amazon does or something, because it's just it doesn't make any sense. Order some ammo today. Check it out. You'll see what I mean. A uh, little bit of a process to get your uh, your ID to them, uh, a copy of the ID, your ID when you do your first order, because uh, they got to make sure that you know they're selling ammo to an adult, laws, regulations, yada yada yada. But once that's done, man, it's just slick. You'll never go to the store to buy ammo again. It won't make any sense to you. Why would you go to the store and talk to some jagov when you could just point, click, order, buy, and have your ammo show up at your door so fast you forgot? Like, what, what, what's here? That can't be my ammo already. Uh, BulkAmmo.com. It is. Check them out today. BulkAmmo.com. Remember, Western Botanicals and Bulk Ammo both do discounts for members of the MSB. You can learn more by going to the survivalpodcast.com, clicking on Members and Joining. If you're not already a member, if you are a member, make sure when you deal with Western Botanicals, Bulk Ammo, most of our other sponsors, and over 60 different supporting vendors, go in there and get your discount. I mean, why wouldn't you? You pay to be a member. It's one of the big perks of being a member. And if you use the discounts... 
Your membership won't cost you a dime. With that, let's go ahead and get on into the thing that we're here to talk about today, which is the proper human diet with Ken Berry. I want to lead off on our quote of the day. I've been doing uh, our Buckminster Fuller, Fuller quotes this week, and I was thinking about doing a whole week of them. And when I, when I thought about what we were talking about today, I got to break off of that and go to Mark Twain. I could sum up the way people think about nutrition in this country with a simple quote by Mark Twain from over 100 years ago. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. I think when you hear Ken talk about how he discovered this way of eating when he was a doctor and he was telling his patients they needed to eat better and they were looking at his big old pot belly and he thought to himself, you know, I can't be telling people they need to eat right and get in shape if I'm not in shape myself. I think you'll, and you listen to him talk about what he was taught in medical school about health and nutrition. And millions of doctors across this country telling tens and hundreds of millions of people the right way to eat. The FDA telling people the right way to eat. Our everybody knows idea, the, the, the food pyramid that's put in front of us children in school. And with all of this, obesity will kill over 300,000 people this year. Just straight up obesity, direct complications due to obesity. That's not, that's not counting all the heart attacks. That's not counting all the kidney failure. 300,000 people will die this year from complications due to obesity. A bunch more will die from type 2 diabetes. Most of it will be due to the way that they're eating. A lot of people will have organ failure. It will be due to the way that they're eating. And a whole bunch of other people will continue to live suboptimal lives. That's a lot to do with the way they're eating. And some of them, yes, they're eating five or six Big Macs a day. They're food addicts. We're going to talk about food addiction a lot today. But a lot of them are eating a diet that a nutritionist would look at and say, it could be a little better, but that's really good. That's really good. Well, then why are they so sick? We don't know. We do know. Actually, the problem is you think you know, and it just ain't so. That sums up. The way we think about nutrition in America perfectly. And there's an interesting thing that happens when a person gives real keto a try that actually does it right the way we're going to talk about it today. After a few months, there's nothing you can say that will ever change their mind. Not because of something they read, not because of something they saw, but something that they've experienced. When you go from not being healthy to being healthy, it ain't just about weight loss. There's a lot of y'all out there thinking, I don't like keto, I'm not fat. You might be sick, though. Give it a try, and you might figure out that it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. With that, I'm pleased to welcome back to the Survival Podcast, longtime friend, a longtime listener, great guy, recurring guest, expert council member, just all-around good dude, Ken Berry. With that, hey, Ken, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Thanks so much, Jack. It's good to be back with you. Now, I would say probably 99 out of 100 people listening to this podcast today know exactly who you are. You're on our expert council. You've been on the show at least three times before. Uh, huge YouTube's blown up like crazy in the past years, but there's probably a few people that don't know who or what a Ken Berry is. So can we start <laughs> out with who is Ken Berry and how did you end up in the world you are in today? Sure. I am a family physician. I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. 
And uh, about two and a half years ago, I came home griping about something that the American Diabetes Association had said. And my wife, Nisha, said, why don't you make a YouTube video? And uh, we had a huge argument because I thought that was stupid. <laughs> and uh, true story. Okay. And then a couple of weeks later, we had a more loving conversation about it. And I started a YouTube channel. And uh turns out... I have to say the, the words that every husband dreads saying, she was right. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of blown up from there. And uh, I've got a book called Lies My Doctor Told Me that is still doing much better on in bookstores than I ever hoped or dreamed it would do. And uh, I basically dedicated my life to reversing the chronic diseases of modern society, virtually all of which are diet related. You know, it, it doesn't that make sense because most of the problems that we deal with today didn't exist right? Uh, not not very long ago. Like, there was some cancer and stuff like that, even when they weren't sure what to call it when you look at historic. Because actually people 100 years ago or 200 years ago were not incapable of writing things down. We actually have a record of some of the stuff that went on. And we can go, that looks like cancer or that looks like diabetes, but... These things are very uncommon, so much so I watched a thing on Netflix, and my listeners will kill me for not being able to tell them what it's called. I don't remember, but it was when we got into keto, we consumed as much information as we could find, including yours. And this was a documentary, and one of the things they did is they went to Australia, and they interviewed Aboriginal people, and they all had modern diseases. They had type 2 diabetes. They were obese. They had, you know, heart disease. They had all these chronic ongoing modern diseases, but they asked the older ones, when when you were little kids, what did people die of? And they said they either died of old age or accidents or a disease that was more like, you know, a smallpox or something like that. They didn't die of these things. They didn't happen. And, That's right. And they put them on a, a, a very traditional diet, uh, which actually is fairly keto because when you're living off the land, unlike a lot of uh, vegans seem to think, you're going to end up eating if it ain't if it ain't uh if it ain't animals it's probably insects and most yeah. of the vegetation you're going to eat is actually low calorie high nutrient and that you, you're hitting keto um That's and it. And, it, and in 3 weeks these people dramatically improved it was amazing to me how did you come on to keto as the key to reversing all these illnesses through nutrition <laughs> well it's it's actually a a very interesting story i was practicing family medicine daily and working as an ER physician uh, about three nights a week and was getting progressively fatter and sicker. And when I became pre-diabetic, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a good old redneck like you and, and hopefully some of the listeners. And in the world I grew up in, things had to make sense. One plus one was always two, regardless of how you felt about it. And you didn't take uh, car repair advice from a mechanic whose st- car wouldn't start. That would be considered <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you didn't take. Uh, you didn't go to a hairdresser for a haircut if her hair was ratchet. And you just you just had common sense about these things. And so it occurred to me that people probably should not be taking health and nutrition advice from a fat pre-diabetic doctor. Uh, and I would I would be talking to a, a, an overweight patient and I would say, now, you know, you've got to lose some weight. This is unhealthy being as you know overweight as you are. And I would see their eyes 
break eye contact and, and flip down for a tenth of a second to my belly. Yeah. When I would say things like that and, and I very quickly decided I was not going to be a fat sick doctor, you know, trying to counsel people about how to get healthier. And so I started looking into things. I, uh, reviewed all my, my medical school notes and that didn't help a bit. Basically I could sum those up in three phrases, uh, avoid all saturated fat, eat lots of whole grains and jog. That was the advice I learned in medical school, and I tried that for a couple of months and gained another five pounds and quickly realized that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about when it came to the care and feeding of just a normal human being out in the wild. And so I, I read a ton of books, watched, watched hours of YouTube videos, and I found kind of a, a low-carb paleo ancestral diet. I read Dr. Atkins' great book. I got it for 50 cents at a rummage sale. And the, the idea of lowering the carbohydrates, which I'd never heard before, but I was, it was very intriguing. I thought, well, I'm going to try that. And so I did and immediately started to lose the fat. And I started to, uh, I reversed my prediabetes within just a few months of lowering my carbohydrate intake. And while doing this paleo, low carb, primal kind of hybrid diet, I, I started seeing articles about the ketogenic diet. And the more I researched it and looked into it, there's actually copious amounts of research in the literature that was either buried or hidden or just not published or has been there all along, but we just didn't even know to look for it, right? And and so now that's what I base most all of my YouTube videos is I'll I'll find four or five studies. Like right now I'm working on a, an updated video about COPD, which I, I would suspect a few of the listeners suffer from. There's actually multiple research studies that show that a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet uh, helps you blow off the carbon dioxide easier, helps increase your walking distance, helps uh, when you do your pulmonary function test, it helps your lung function. This is in the literature, but nobody knows to look for it because everybody thinks keto is just a weight loss diet. And so as I was losing this weight, I started putting my most morbidly obese patients on, on a ketogenic diet. Initially, as just a, you know, one to three month weight loss hack. I didn't, I didn't believe that it was healthy to do it long term. Mm-hmm. And these people would come back and they'd say, Hey, doc, I love your diet. I've lost 20, 30, 40 pounds, but also my, my breathing is better or also my knee arthritis is completely gone or my heartburn is completely gone. And initially I thought these were just anecdotal coincidences, right? Like, ah, oh, it's weird. I don't know. But I kept hearing it over and over and over. These other chronic diseases just went away. And I would say to people with COPD, I'm going to refill your inhalers while you're here. And they're like, oh, no, I don't use them anymore. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so initially I attributed that to the weight loss from keto. But now I know that there's there's black and white research that a high-fat, low-carb diet improves lung function universally in all humans, but also in people with the pre-existing COPD. And so eventually I came to understand that the ketogenic diet, a low-carb keto, or even a carnivore diet, these are proper human diets. These are not fad diets. These are not uh, temporary hacks to do to lose fat, although they work amazingly well for that. What we're doing, uh, Jack, all of us together, is we're basically rediscovering the proper human diet. We're rediscovering that the, the, what the aborig, aborigines ate and what the Inuit ate and the, the northern tribes in Siberia. These guys ate keto every day, if not carnivore. 
And they, like, like you alluded to, they were healthy. Their teeth were perfect. They, uh, you know, rarely had a cavity, never had a dental abscess. They were slender. They were muscular. They were strong. They were very, very smart and cunning. That's because they were eating the proper human diet. Gotcha, man. And I, I agree completely. And I think that anybody that thinks that indigenous cultures live primarily on calories obtained through plants has never tried to do it. Like if, oh, exactly if, you, right. if you actually go out in the woods and I don't care if you're anywhere from the swamplands to the, to the, the mountains of Northern Pennsylvania, where I grew up, if you're going to survive for any long period of time, you're going to kill some. Yep. You just are. The exception, I guess, would be in some of the tropical environments as far as there's a lot of caloric yield available in fruits, but those are nowhere near as easily available without modern agriculture, I think, as people believe that they are. You might come across a fig tree, but, you know, I think something like that self-limiting. Anybody that's ever – I grow figs. I don't eat a lot of them anymore, but I grow them, and they are addictive. But if you sit down yes. and eat 20 of them tomorrow morning, you'll wish you did, and then you won't do it again. <laughs> exactly right. And, and all those things are available for maybe two weeks out of the uh, 52 weeks of the year. So you're not going to eat enough figs and berries in two weeks to sustain you for around the year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so let's talk about this from a standpoint of what we really want to talk about today, preparedness. And I want to I skin that from two sides. I want to talk about the fact that there's a lot of people out there that consider themselves prepared, but if they went 15 minutes without their diabetic medication, they're going to go a coma and die. Right. Uh, so I want to talk about the, the value of health as part of your preparedness in the first place, because there's a lot to unpack there. Before we get to that, though, this is the most common question I, I get. But without rice and beans, how am I going to store food? Oh, exactly. And I, I definitely wanted to cover that. So when you're talking about human nutrition, there's really two ways to look at this. First of all, the worst possible outcome is starvation. So we definitely don't want to starve. So I'm not opposed to people having rice and beans in their, in their storage. I mean, uh, you know, it makes sense. They, if you, if you store them properly, they effectively last forever. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, definitely have some rice and beans because they are much preferable to starvation. Yeah. They're better than sawdust. (laughs) <laughs> and that's right. Yeah, they're better than sawdust. And, but what we do as part of our personal preparation, and I, I hate to say prepping because that immediately, you know, brings up connotations of conspiracies and stuff. But it, it, as far as us being pre- prepared for whatever happens, uh, we've got cans of spam. We've got cans of salmon. I love sardines. Nisha hates them, but I guarantee you they're better than starving, right? Uh, I've, I've listened to you in years past about biltong. Uh, there, there are many ways, and then so you you would store cans of uh, canned meat, and then of course, as you've talked about before, you would rotate that storage, and so you would use it up. But the average uh, can of sardines will last at room temperature and be completely nutritious and safe for years. I don't know if anybody's ever just seen how long a can of sardines would stay viable. But, I mean, the date on the ones I just most recently ordered was 2024, and I would not throw them away. Because they run over by a day. I mean, absolutely not. And and you're talking about a great storage thing for keto. I mean, I eat them all the time anyway. I get the really good ones. They're called Matisse 
Uh, Matisse is the company that makes them. They're from northern Portugal Sea is where they get them. But they're, they're packed in basically salt and olive oil. So you've got right. a great fat yield there, plus they have their own high-quality fat. Absolutely, and if you get them with the bone in and the skin on, they are ju- literally a complete food for human yep. beings. There's almost no vitamin or mineral deficiency you're going to get if you eat a couple of cans of, of the good quality sardines every way. And a lot of people think that canned salmon's probably the cheap stuff that's farmed, but actually most canned salmon is wild-caught. Mm-hmm. At spam, potted meat, deviled ham, all these things last forever in the can, and they are preeminent sources of fat and protein, which is what you really need the most of in a survival situation. Uh, you, you might think you need some carbs, but what you really, really need is fat and protein. Talk about a survival situation, just living in northern Alaska like the Inuit do would be about as, as, as bleak as it could get. And yes. they live on blubber. And until, exactly until right. we fixed their problem, they didn't have any. That's, I mean, yeah. the other side of it. Plus, I'll add to that. My, my thing is always, I'm not really prepping for the end of the world as we know it. I want to make sure that if shit goes sideways, I can get by for a couple months. Because yep. if we don't put it back together at that point, then I'm heading up in the mountains or back in the swamps anyway. I mean, there's a point where you would have a breakdown of such level that any idea that you're just going to sit in your house and be okay is gone. And I'm not, that's not what I teach. I teach preparing for what is likely. So I, I there's these two magical stores. They're called Home Depot and Lowe's. And, and, and there's also a magical website called Amazon. And all three of them will be happy to provide you for some money uh, with a generator. And yes. then you have this thing called the deep freezer, which I hope you got one already if you want one this year, because they're almost yeah. impossible to get right now. And then you turn that on and plug into it, and some bitch, if the food doesn't stay frozen, and exactly. 60 gallons of gas, which is kind of my recommended storage, and you only need to run that thing for a couple hours a day to keep a chest freezer frozen solid, and you can go months without losing your the, the meat that you have stored in your freezer. So that's my primary reserve, is to yep. buy steaks and stuff like that, and they're frozen. And uh, I, I have never had a problem keeping them frozen. And we had a power outage; it went like a week, and it wasn't even it wasn't even hard. I was more worried about keeping the pumps running in my ponds than I was about the chest freezer. <laughs> right, and I think that's by far the most common scenario: is that we lose all utilities for a week or two or three, maybe four. That's by far and away, I think, the most likely shit hit the fan event. And and in that case, the the canned meats are going to get you through, and you're going to be fine. Uh, you know, Jack, I don't normally talk about brand name products, but there is one product that I think your people would love. It's called Keto Brick, and a good friend of mine actually makes it in Arkansas, uh, and it's a, it's a little brick. They've got, I don't know, five or six different flavors. Each brick has a 1,000 calories, and it is the calories are predominantly from fat and protein, it, and that's why it's got the name Keto Brick. But for, for preppers, for backpackers, for hunters, if you want to throw a couple of these, it, they don't take up much room, maybe a, a, the room of a cell phone. And they, they have a, a proven shelf-stable life of three years. But I think these things would last forever if you kept them in good conditions. But to have, you know, three of these bricks in your, in your bug-out bag, that's 3,000 calories of mainly fat and protein. That's going to keep you going for a long time. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes for this. Um, 
it looks very similar to pemmican. And it, it, yeah, it's yeah. probably based, it's probably not pemmican, but it's probably kind of based on that. I'll, I'll look into it more. That, that's probably better than those lemon bars they put in the boats for you if you get lost at sea. Um, probably. <laughs> probably. Probably a lot better. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think there's plenty. I don't think it's really the challenge that people think it is. I mean, we also talk a lot about livestock and homesteading here. Yes. And it's much easier. I mean, I grow a lot of vegetables. I do. I know you're more of the carnivore side. I'm more of like veg-heavy keto. Um, but I can tell you that it's easier to produce a chicken egg than it is a, a, a tomato or yes. a pepper. And yeah. it's much easier. And yeah. you got another whole food. And it's actually pretty easy to grow food for birds. And, and, oh, and my absolutely. thing is, when people say about, you know, what are, well, what's good, good about grain, birds love it, and they have a crop, and they're designed to eat it. And I remember Mark Shepard said one time about grain, and it was funny because he wasn't even talking about anything like we're talking about today, but he's like, you don't need to eat that. You don't have a crop. You are not a That's bird. Right. You have a great exactly. big giant liver that's made to process protein and fat. And I thought, wow, that's right. coming from a totally different school of thought, but it leads to the same place. Yeah, and, and I definitely am a, a very, very meat-heavy proper human get, diet guide. But again, if we're talking about a shit-hits-the-fan situation, mm-hmm. then survival and starvation come back into play. So all around our property, uh, I, I learned about purslane from you years ago, and it, it grows like a weed, and it's it's a very nutritionally complete plant. It's got lots of ALA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid, tons of vitamin C. It's got all all kinds of vitamins and minerals, depending on what soil it grows in. It's it's an annual, but it, it grows like a perennial because it just drops seeds all the time. So once you plant purslane, it's always there. And I've got that in every nook and cranny of our property. I've got purslane sown. Mm-hmm. And if I don't eat it, the chickens, they love it. They'll they'll pick it clean. And so asparagus is a great one. Kale, garlic, watercress is a great one. And mm-hmm. then chives. Once you plant these things, they, they basically reseed themselves or they're perennial. And you've, you, you're not going to starve to death. You've always got something out in the yard that you can eat. And it, it follows what I've always said, which is, is grow your nutrition and buy your calories. Unless you're a rancher, right? Like, yes. So, yeah. like, take your money and buy buy the stuff. That, like, you prop. Like, a lot of people live in a place. I do, for instance. I could I, I could do a cow here, like a a, a, a heifer and have her impregnated once a year, but it isn't practical. I'd have to be bringing a lot of feed in. I don't have enough arable land to graze even you know a cow and a calf. So that doesn't make sense. So I'm going to buy beef from the guy with 110 acres down the road. Sure, but I can grow enough of my nutrition that my my produce bill at the grocery store is like three dollars, and then that way I can take all. Basically, by growing my nutrition, I'm taking the money I would spend to buy it, and I'm using that money to buy beef, or I'm using that money to buy pastured pork, or I can on my little property I can run my own pastured poultry. And I think there's a lot of ways you can skin this, and you know I, I'll tell you flat out one thing: people with a little bit of land need to realize is how little feed um, a small chicken flock really needs. It, it's not much. Like we've got today, I think people treat their freaking chickens like poodles or something. Freaking <laughs> diapers on them and all right. kinds of yeah. crap. But when I was a kid, man, chickens got fed a, a, like a cup of feed. We had like a half a dozen of them. And they got yeah. like a cup of feed a day is all they got. And they they did just fine because they yeah, went out and are, got stuff, you know. I mean, yeah, chickens are excellent. 
they're sure. they're very low maintenance, and everybody can have chickens. We live in metropolitan Nashville, and we have uh, 18 hens in the backyard. We have a big backyard, but basically they get all the table scraps. And people think mm. that chickens are herbivores, but they're definitely no. omnivores. No. Chickens love meat. They will they will wear out meat and pick bones clean. And so all of our scraps go to the chickens. The dogs mm. get the bones, and the chickens get everything else, and they devour it all. And so we've got 18 little chicks running around the backyard and we don't have to worry about, you know, the neighbors because hens don't crow. Uh, and we're going to have good source of eggs. And then if worse comes to worse, we can, we can butcher a chicken and, and we're never going to starve to death. Whenever I see chicken advertised or eggs advertised 100% vegetarian diet, my response to that is, well, then you locked up the chicken because that's the only way you can say that. If yep. you let yeah, a chicken, chicken out, it will always eat something with a face before it eats a grain. It, I mean, it'll yeah. eat lots of grain. They're omnivores, but they, if you, you take, you mentioned bones to the dogs. If you give a bone to a chicken and you let the chicken flock go over it and then you give that bone to the dog, the dog will look like you. What the hell have you done? Cause there's, <laughs> there's nothing on that bone. It's gone. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah, gone. They're, they're omnivorous with, uh, without doubt. And uh, the protein and fat they provide is just life-saving in a in a dire situation. And so anybody can have two hens in the backyard. Just don't get a rooster. Then he doesn't crow. Yeah. And and then uh, uh, for God's sake, don't get two or three roosters because if you do, they'll never shut up crowing. They beat the hell out of each other. You know. <laughs> we used to have we 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 uh, we we we, uh, we raised chickens and we ate roosters. So every time they had a batch, you know, unless it was time to replace the flock rooster. Uh, all the roosters graduated to the grill or the stew pot, and yep. uh, eventually you would replace the flock rooster with the, the nicest of the new roosters, the one that didn't have an attitude problem, and then the old rooster definitely was a stew and we have coca bin rooster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of utility there. Let's kind of shift gears. I just I just want to touch on that because I, especially when I did this, and it's like, oh my god, like you're gonna die if the shit is the fan. Like, well, first of all. I'm with you. It's like I didn't throw away all my rice and beans. You get some five-gallon buckets, you fill them up with rice and beans. Those, I don't know if you know this, Ken, the, the hand heaters, you know, like when you go hunting or fishing, those little pouch heaters yeah. you buy, those things are exactly the same thing as what's in an O2 absorber that they put in, like, to store food. Hmm. It's, it's iron filings with a chemical on it that speeds up oxidation and makes the iron rust. That's all that they. That's all an O2 absorber is, because when iron rusts and oxidizes, it takes oxygen to do that. Right. So it, if it happens fast, it makes things hot. So when like Kmart and all them put those things on sale after winter's over, you can go buy a giant pack of huge O2 absorbers for a couple bucks. You take a five gallon bucket, fill it 99% of the way with rice, throw that thing in the top, throw the lid on it. Now, that lid ain't never coming off. You're going to have to cut it off, but who cares? <laughs> like, that right. rice will be edible when you're dead. Throw that shit down That's... in the basement or whatever, and if you ever need it, it's there, and then, and then rock on and, and, and do all these other things we're talking about for the real world. Um, but let's kind of shift now. Like, the bigger thing to me is how much better prepared I am health-wise for periods lacking support, and how much better prepared I am now for living my better life, even if nothing goes wrong, because I did this over a year ago, and in that year I've lost about 65 pounds. 
And I think the bigger thing to me is, because you can lose weight. If I lock you in a closet long enough, you'll lose weight. Yes. I, with that amount of weight loss, you expect to have some stretch marks. or I have none of that. No hanging skin, none of that. So it was a very healthy way to lose weight, even though it seemed very rapid. But my big thing yep. is people look at pictures of me and go, good God, you look 10 years younger. Exactly. And that's more than weight loss. That's yep. so much more than weight loss. So what is the magic in this that does so much to make people not just thinner but healthier? Well, there's a there's a multitude of magic tricks in in the ketogenic way of eating, and one of the things that it does is that you you tend to stop snacking. Uh, you probably can remember back when you were eating a high carb diet, you you had food in your hand every two hours. You yeah. were snacking on this or eating that, and when you're eating a diet that's rich in protein and fat, both of those macronutrients are very satiating. They tell you that you're full, but then you stay full for many, many hours after that. And so you're not eating. And anytime we're not eating, that's called fasting. And a lot of people start keto for weight loss, and they don't realize that they're going to get all these other health benefits. And so most people, after they've been on keto a while, they're they're eating two meals a day instead of three meals a day with snacks in between. And when you do that, you're fasting for, for 14, 16, or 18 hours a day that initiates this thing that the human body does called autophagy. And it's very complicated. We're still learning new stuff about it all the time. But basically, when, you, when you're fasting, your body will start to look for old cells, damaged cells, less than optimal cells everywhere in your body. And your, your body will actually start to recycle those damaged elderly cells and that cell gets replaced by a brand new vibrant healthy cell that has better function than the old damaged cell had and so you can just imagine over the course of however many months you've been doing this jack you have replaced millions of of less than optimal damaged kind of senescent cells with brand new vibrant healthy cells that are running on all all cylinders that's why you feel so much better, and that's why you're so much better prepared now for whatever comes, good or bad, than you were a year or two ago, is because your body is physiologically younger. And if you did the, the, the telomere test, where you look, look at your telomeres at the end of your um, chromosomes, your telomeres are now longer, which makes you more resilient in hundreds of ways. It's going to extend your life because the longer your telomeres are, the longer you live. So it, it, the the benefits just keep going on and on and on. And that's not even, we haven't even touched on reversing all of these chronic diseases that some of the listeners are taking three to seven different medications every day for. <laughs> You know, on the telomeres, that's something that's bigger. I, I think that's something that if you if you haven't looked into this and you're not a doctor, or you're not a doctor, I should say, that you can gloss over how big a deal that is. Because there is a school of thought that until very recent times was under the impression that as that shortened, not only did your life shorten, but it never went the other way. There was a belief that that didn't happen, that, one, that that was like a one-way process. Yeah, correct. And, and that people is considered it a biological clock in the body. It yeah. Was your, it was your longevity clock. It was your dash, like I always say, right? That was your dash shrinking. And, like, you can literally <laughs> extend your dash 
Yes. Not to where it would have been, but <clears throat> where it's a complete new, it's literally you've stretched it out and made it longer. And that is, that is something that, I mean, that's, to me, that's Nobel Prize worthy discovering that. I mean, it'll never get talked about by the mainstream, not anytime soon anyway, but that is, that is earth shattering, life altering. And I just didn't want that to get glossed over without people realizing how big a deal that actually is. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a gigantic deal, and I totally agree. There should be Nobels handed out for that, but probably there never will be yeah. because that, that doesn't support the big food, big pharma advertising model at all. It basically says, hey, you can actually get healthy and reverse chronic disease and live longer without any pills whatsoever. And, you know, nobody who spends millions of dollars in advertising dollars, are they're, they're not interested in that paradigm whatsoever. And I have to say, like, a typical day for me now is I eat lunch around 1, and I'll eat dinner somewhere between 5 and 7, sometimes even 8 o'clock at night. Uh, it depends because just what's going on here. But I try yeah. to hit it, like, as soon as the kids leave, we have our grandkids here every every day during the week. I try to hit it right around 6, 6.30. And, and that gives that long window between the two meals. And occasionally there might be some sort of a, a keto-friendly snack here and there. But most of the time, it's just those two meals. Had I right. tried to do that on a carbohydrate-based diet, I'd be sitting in a prison cell because I'd have killed somebody. Exactly right, and that's uh, people who are not who haven't tried a keto diet yet. When you talk about fasting, they look at you like you're, you're crazy. It's, yeah, it sounds like, what insane. Are you talking about you're telling me not to eat for sixteen or eighteen hours. I would, I'll die, and or somebody else matter, will. Probably yeah, or somebody right. else will. The truth of the matter is, is the human body has been dealing with fasting. Back, you know, 100,000 years ago, we would have called that starving. But there's two ways that this applies to to the the community who likes to be prepared. And that's number one, you're, you're initiating autophagy big time. Also, there's another huge un, uh, untalked about part of medicine called glycomics, or glycomics, which is a huge deal as well. And you're actually selectively making each and every one of your cells healthier and better able to communicate with each other when you fast and when you eat keto. And so for somebody who wants to be prepared, I guarantee you, you would not want to try to invade Jack's compound now versus three years ago, because Jack could sit on ready and, and, and for 16 or 18 hours, he could sit right there with the bead on you waiting for you to come out from behind that tree and he'd be fine. He would not <laughs> yeah. get hangry. He no. would not get weak. He would not get, uh, lazy. He or would get sit jittery there like I used to. If I went too long without eating, I would start <clears throat> to shake. Right. Exactly. And if I went it go long enough, when I ate, yeah. it was, it was scary looking. It like, if I get close to him, he'll eat me. You right. know? And the, the second way that it, it helps people who are trying to be prepared is that once you've done, like Jack's daily doing a 16, 18-hour fast, and it's no sweat. He didn't even think about eating. It's not even on his radar. So when you've accomplished that, it's almost like a superpower. Then if you're suddenly faced with a scenario where, oh, I'm I'm not going to be able to eat for three days, you're like, okay, let's go, let's roll. And whereas somebody who's eating the high carbohydrate diet, that literally sounds like an impossibility to them. But somebody who's who's fat adapted and and doing this every day, they're like, yeah, I can I can fast for three days, no big deal. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, 
I think we need to say a couple things there. Number one, I started getting people like, well, when are you going to stop? When are you going to stop? And they had this illusion since, since it caused me to lose so much weight that I was going to go down to like 0% body fat and start to look like I was in a concentration camp if <laughs> right. I didn't stop doing it. Like, first they didn't believe you'd lose weight. Then when you start losing weight, and dramatically so, then it's like, oh, well, you have to stop at some point or you're going to get too skinny. And right. when you eat keto, you carry a healthy amount of fat on your body. The human body is not supposed to be 0% body fat. That's not Correct. where we belong. If you... If you shoot a deer on the farm, you get a deer that looks a lot like a small cow. It's got huge fat caps on it and all. It's more tallow than fat, but you get what I'm saying. You shoot a deer up in the mountains on a good year with a good acorn mast and all, that animal is healthy as it could ever be, and it's still carrying some fat. Like, it is natural that mammals carry fat, and if you if you were to... Kill a, a well-fed mountain lion or a well-fed African lion. You're going to find that those animals are lean, but they're not without fat. So you still have a fat reserve. Exactly right. And that's why more and more I'm starting to refer to this way of eating as the proper human diet because then it makes all those objections sound kind of silly. You know, they, then they would be saying, well, you can't eat the proper human diet forever. You'd be like, well, why the hell not? It's, it's the proper human diet. And so keto is not a weight loss diet. It is a weight optimization diet. I guarantee you I could take someone from a, 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 a country in Africa who's starving and malnourished and has kwashiorkor, and I could start feeding them a, a keto diet, and they would gain weight. Mm-hmm. So what, what the keto diet does, this, this low-carb way of eating, is it moves you towards your ideal body weight regardless of where you started from. Now, the majority of us in the United States are fat, and so it's going to tend to make us burn fat and lose weight. But if you're severely underweight, malnourished, it's going to make you gain weight because what, it, what the diet does, just like when you feed any animal, Jack, it moves towards its ideal body weight. Humans are the same kind of mammal. When you feed us a proper human diet, we're going to tend to move towards our ideal body weight that's ideal for function, both physical and mental. How do you answer the people that point out kind of the Asian paradox? And, and I mean, today, if you look at the major cities in Asia, they have the same shit problems we do, they have the same garbage. But if you go out into like the, the, the countryside of these Asian countries, largely agricultural, these people eat a little bit of meat. They eat a lot of fish. They eat a lot of vegetables. They eat a lot of rice. They generally don't have problems with obesity. That's um, right. I, I don't really understand why it works for them, but I can't deny that it does, and I can't claim that what they're eating is keto. Yeah. Well, the way it works for them is the following. So all human beings, based on our genetics, we have a personal fat threshold. And so uh, some genetic strains of humans, if you feed them the least little bit too much carbs, they'll immediately start to store peripheral fat. Okay. And that's typically people of uh, northern European descent, Scotch, Irish, English, uh, all of the northern People with the last tribes. name Spirko. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, you, and I'm in, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I'm Scotch-Irish with a big dose of Neanderthal thrown in. Red hair, and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you feed me too many carbs, I'll immediately start to get fat. People of Asian and Indian descent have a different fat threshold. If they eat the standard Western diet, they will start to get fat. But 
eating the their ancestral diet that's very high carb, lots of grains, lots of vegetables, they don't get fat. But here's the thing, Jack, they still get prediabetes and diabetes and fatty liver. And indeed, if you start to actually look on the Internet, you'll find tons of stories that prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, fatty liver metabolic syndrome is rampant in the Asian countries and in India, but they're not fat. They're and so fat. what they'll give, they'll develop just a little belly pooch, but they don't get fat anywhere else. And so that's that belly pooch that they have is intra-abdominal fat. It's visceral fat. That's where they get fat. And so they don't they don't get humongous like like people, you know, fr- from Caucasian and, and European descent do, unless you really just jack them up with the processed American crap. Gotcha. But they're still getting metabolically sick. And that's that's the Asian paradox explained. It's not really a paradox when you look at this from a metabolic disease standpoint. So Asians and Indians, they don't get morbidly obese, but they still get metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, diabetes, and fatty liver from eating a high-carbohydrate diet. Their rates are just as high as ours. That makes sense. I remember I said I was on that information consumption mode when I was – because I, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to learn as much as I can about it so I can also teach about it, you know. Sure. And I watched a documentary, another one I can't remember the name, name of, but it was on YouTube. And the guy that was behind it said that what started him on it was he had a waist size one inch bigger than his, when he graduated high school. He was a high school athlete. He was in his mid to late <coughs> 40s, and he had diabetes. So he yep. wasn't fat, and but yet he was eating – like a nutritionist dream, grains and honey and all that shit. And so I don't think that necessarily fat equals unhealthy. I've got a friend right now that is trying to get his wife on keto, and she, for her health long term, she needs to. She is very, very overweight. Wonderful person, but it is what it is. He's yep. very, very slight of build. He has an autoimmune disease. He's been through some real hell with, and he sees it as something for her, not for him. And I'm like, dude, you'll gain weight. Yep. You'll gain exactly weight. Right. You, and he wouldn't mind eating that way. You know, he's under this belief that he needs carbs. And I, I keep telling dude, you will, you will put on muscle, you will put on yep. weight, and it won't fix your problem. It's not something you can totally fix, but it will probably improve as best you can hope you the condition that you're under right now. I think there's so much good it does for so many people. I love your term proper human diet. Because when people tell me, you know, it won't work or whatever, I, I'm always like, then how are we here? Because if exactly. you look at the Paleolithic record, it's what we ate. One more thing on an Asian thing before we let that go. My thing that I discovered when I researched that is there's the diet that people eat because they have to and the diet that people eat because they want to. And if you're in a place where both choices are healthier than Cheetos and Fritos from Piggly Wiggly, both of those might be better choices than the standard American diet, but one might be better than the other. If you yep. go to these Asian countries and you look at people that have money, their diet is mostly veg, veg, uh, vegetables and pork and yep. fish. That's what they they don't. In fact, if you go to like I have this very good friend uh, from from Thailand and he makes this wonderful thing with a beef tenderloin and all this stuff, and he always puts a little bit of noodles out at the end of it. And he does that in a tradition. And he said, if you <laughs> right. go to somebody's house and they cook this for you, when they put those noodles out, it would be insulting to eat one of them. 
<laughs> you don't actually eat them because it's like it's like it's this pepper black pepper chicken and it's uh, this this onions and hot pepper sauce that goes on the tenderloin and it's it's this is and it's it's like he's from Thailand but it's more like a Mongolian feast and yep. that's the way people of means eat there. There's some vegetables with it and all, but there is no rice. And again, it was a weird thing with the and I'm like, am I supposed to eat? And he goes, no. My dad taught me this, and I do that, and that's what it means in our. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's almost almost like a uh, a head nod to their their past of poverty. Yeah, and here's some noodles. Yeah, and I think yeah, that they said that like traditionally it would be donated to somebody that needed it. You know, it wouldn't be yeah. thrown away or maybe fed to chickens. Another very interesting point about this: uh, some of your re- listeners may have heard of the book called The Blue Zones. And Okinawa was one of the blue zones where people live a really long time. Mm-hmm. And Dan Butner basically was dishonest in this book. And researchers have went back and looked at these blue zones again. And they found that he greatly underestimated the amount of meat and fat that these people use. And so in Okinawa, the, the researcher said basically everything's cooked in, in pig fat, lard, yeah. everything, yeah. literally without exception. And these people eat a ton of pork on a daily basis. Pig is a huge percentage of their diet. And so, yeah, they've got noodles and rice and stuff, and they they sample from that. But the majority of their diet is meat and veg. And I think anybody listening, if you're like, I don't even know what the hell keto means, just start eating, uh, have two-thirds of your plate covered with meat and one-third of your plate covered with veg. Boom, that's keto. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, and, and remember, if you take stuff that's low calorie and low carb, and you saute it in pork fat, it's pretty damn keto too. And I think you know that's where you're. A lot of that something like those people in in that area, they grow to the hell out of these sweet potatoes that I grow. They're a purple skin, white flesh sweet potato, and if you eat a bunch of them, you're eating a bunch of carbs. But they grow them as much for the green as they do for the tubers. Yes, and. If you take that green and you saute it in pig fat, and the, the, the pig that's very popular throughout all these countries is the little pot bellies that we keep like dogs here in, in America. And we had one, one of our farm we had in West Virginia. Somebody gave us one. We're like, we bought some guinea hogs for, for pork. And we're like, well, we don't really want him. I'll, I, I gotta get rid of it. We'll give it to you. So we just threw it with the guinea hogs. And that damn thing was about 85 pounds when we're like, okay, I've had enough. He was trying to hump all the other sows he couldn't reach, and it was <laughs> he was just a little dick. And so, like, we're fine. So we popped him in the head, and we butchered him with one of the big sows. And uh, that pig was 80% fat. I mean, it was and, – and you know a culture like that is not throwing that away. They're going to render that to lard. And so that pig is is as much a fat yield as it is a protein yield. Exactly. And, and and that's, I mean, in Vietnam, they grow, they have those things, they let them run basically free range and they train them to come home and it's like, well, it's your, now we need a pig. Sorry, sorry, Wilbur, it's your day. And, and, and they just are completely sustainable that way. It's almost like yeah. hunting except the game doesn't know to run away because you feed it. You know, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, how they handle it. It comes to you. Yeah. I love it. So ha- you you have this massive YouTube following now. You have to get a massive amount of feedback. Have you had anybody honestly say, I really did keto and it didn't make my life better? 
maybe one comment out of 500. Okay. And in very, and I, re, I actually reach out to those people because I'm not a, I'm not a salesman and I'm not yeah. uh, an evangelist. I'm not pro keto and damn the world. I'm trying to learn as I go. And, and so I'll reach out to these people and be like, well, tell me about your diet. Tell me what you eat a day. And invariably their diet is, is either one of two things. Either they are eating nothing but keto baked goods and keto bars and mm-hmm. keto shakes. And that was their keto that didn't work. And most of the time a keto shake is actually a carbohydrate shake. Uh, just like any protein bar or protein shake, if you look at the actual nutrition, it's usually a carbohydrate shake. It's not a protein shake. Uh, or number two, they believe this false, um, sales, salesmanship that if you take exogenous ketones, then you can just eat whatever and it, it, it makes mm-hmm. that keto. And that's also absolutely, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. What I found, people that say it doesn't work when you dig down, you'll find something like they found, you know, pizza balls that you can make that are keto. And and right. you look at that and you go, okay, look, this thing is not without carbohydrates. That's right. And if you want to eat that once a week as your fix, it's probably okay. But yep. if you're eating 27 of them <clears throat> and, they have a car- Every day. and they have a carb and half a piece, and it's not the only thing you're eating. Your macros are out of whack. You are not keto. You are over on your carbs. Just because one of something is is okay doesn't mean 20 of something is okay. And that's why I'm so big on, especially, see, I know you and I differ a little bit on the whole caloric intake. I, I feel there has to be some way to control portions, especially in the beginning. I feel that people, like at this point, do I count do I count calories? No, I don't. I did in the beginning because if you tell an addict they can have as much of their substitute as they want, they will take all of it. And so I think there's a point, depending on how bad you are, how long you've been living the wrong way, where you need some thing to rope you in to get you out of that mode. And I'm big on, like, your first two weeks, keep your macros right and eat till you can't move if that's what you need to do. Like, that's your uh, – what is that something give uh, addicts methadone? That's your methadone. And then rope that all in. But even if you're not worried about calories, you need to be tracking your macros until you establish the habits that naturally, because I don't, I don't do that anymore either. I don't even worry about it. I'm, I'm so, I, I, at this point, I have such a pattern of eating that is healthy. I don't need to do it anymore. But I feel like many people, when they come to this, you're basically taking a person that's a heroin addict. And you're putting them in charge of their own recovery. So they're going to need something to make sure they're actually working the plan. No, I totally agree. And in in the beginning, (laughs) if someone wants to start a ketogenic diet, I think it's wise to count macros and to follow that for at least two or three weeks. Because, I mean, let's face it, most of us are not registered dietitians. We don't know how many carbohydrates are in this, that, or the other. And then once you've done that for a few weeks, I don't think you need to track anymore. I definitely don't think you need to check urine or, or blood ketones. I don't do that. You might you no. might want to do that for a few weeks just to see what's up. But I think that's totally unnecessary. And when you start to call this the proper human diet, you kind of get how this is not some weird scientific fad hack diet. This is how we're supposed to eat. And that's why I went back to, to meat and veg. Two thirds of your plate meat, one third veg. 
that's a and and you can eat as you can eat that until you're comfortably full and then push away from the table but uh i, I know the last time you and i had a little um slap fight about <laughs> calorie intake and and can you overeat on this way of eating and that's why i'm increasingly falling in love with the carnivore subset of the keto diet and again i'll issue you my challenge like i did last time I'll I'll pay you a hundred bucks, Jack. If <laughs> if you for the next thirty to ninety days, you can eat the following things: beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. You can have as literally. I want you to try to gain weight on those foods, and uh, we'll do a, a DEXA scan before and a DEXA scan after. And if you can gain twenty pounds of fat eating beef, butter, bacon, and eggs as many times a day, as much as you want, as many refills as you want, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I, I don't think I could put 20 pounds on doing that. No, um, you couldn't. It's impossible. I do think that that <laughs> may not be sufficient in a totally unlimited situation with a person who is severely overweight to put no portion control in at all. I do think over time it will it will happen. But again, I, I'm back to I think you have a heroin addict in charge of their own recovery, and if you don't put no, some I, boundaries in. The, what, here's, here's what I see happen to so many people. They hear I can do keto and lose weight without counting calories, without worrying about portions. And they do for a while. And then they plateau. And yep. then they become convinced that they don't need to look at portions at all. So they don't. And I guess if you limit it to five things you're allowed to eat, that's one thing. But that's not what – so I always try to design based on reality versus on – Somebody doing exactly what you tell them to do because people don't do what you tell them to do. True. So to me, if you give somebody an app and say, hey, keep track of your macros, you probably don't have to worry about calories very much because what inevitably will happen, if you get your macros right, you will get what makes this thing that we disagree on something we actually agree on when done right. You won't eat that much. You will stop eating. You can't really do it right and sustainably overeat. It will. That's right. You will reach a point, but if you don't make sure you're doing it that way, then all of a sudden the keto cheese ball comes in or whatever, and yeah. you know <laughs> the the rebel ice cream or whatever. And see, I don't actually have a problem with any of that, but that needs to be what we say desserts in the sad diet need to be. That needs to be. We don't do that every day, right? That's right. that's cheating means staying keto and eating more. And eating some things we don't normally eat. It does not mean going down to Krispy Kreme. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and another key point that really helps people who are just starting this is you need to count total carbohydrates, not net carbs. Uh, and that's that's where the market share for all these new keto cakes and pies and cookies and bars and shakes, that's how they're able to play the keto game and put keto on the label is they're saying, oh, it only has two grams of net carbs. But when you look at the back, it actually has 18 total grams of carbs, and they're trying to play this game with fiber and say that, well, your body doesn't digest fiber, so you don't have to count those carbohydrates, when in fact that's false. Your body does digest some degree of the fiber and gets carbohydrate calories out of that. Yeah, so a gram of carbohydrate is four calories. If you're talking about oat fiber or chicory root fiber, you're going to get anywhere from one and a half to two and a half 
gram or calories of carbohydrate out of that fiber. And so if you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm eating only 20 net carbs a day and you're eating all the keto cakes, pies, cookies, bars and shakes, you could be getting 150 total grams of carbs a day. And you're blind to that because you you listen to this guy who's selling you keto cheesecake and you're only counting net carbs. So count total carbs. That way you're never you'll never be tricked by marketing or advertising if you count total carbs. See, I think that's one of the blended truth in it as well. So when that person starts eating four low carb tortillas a day, I think that what you just said makes perfect sense. When people are doing this and they're eating whole foods, et cetera, so it's kind of our argument now reversed, right? When people are actually eating the things that they should be eating, things that grew in the ground, et cetera, and are whole foods like broccoli and cauliflower yep. and stuff like that, what will happen is, yeah, some of that fiber will get digested. But if the person's on a 20 net carb limit, if they went to and said, I'm going to do counting all carbs, that carb limit would actually be higher. Right, you feel me? And then, inevitably, if you stay under the 20 net, the total ends up under the total allowance. If you, if you yeah. look at any kind of tracking data. So, it's one of those things, and then the marketing comes in and plays the game. And do I think you're better off with, if you're gonna have a tortilla, a low carb tortilla, than a regular tortilla? Yes. Do I think you sure. can eat that every day? No. And I think it's important for people to understand how that gets digested. It does not get digested in your stomach or your small intestine. It gets fermented in your large intestine and then a calorie uptake from there. So it's going to have a less marked effect on blood sugar, and that's what this all yes. ends up coming down to. But it's still there. It's also going to happen like 18 hours after you eat it. And if you're if you're trying to time your meals right, that might be like, exactly when you're eating your next meal. You see what I'm saying, right? So now yep, exactly. you have that fiber laying down in the small, the large intestine that would not really be much of an issue, but now because of timing, you're actually pouring your breakfast with another two tortillas and cheese on top of yesterday's indigestible fiber that really is digestible in the lower intestinal tract. Yep, I totally agree. My grandfather taught me a very good linguistic trick when I was a kid. He said, boy, just because something is better than something else doesn't make it good. That's true. And I was like, ooh, that's good. And so I actually talk about, I use his language. And so, yeah, I, I would rather you eat a low-carb tortilla or a keto bread. They are less bad than the regular tortilla and the regular bread. But being less bad does not make them good. You know, I think about like when I was a kid, my my grandfather or my uncle, depending on which one it was at what time in my life, would take me to the gun club with them every Sunday after church. And uh, gun club is, is is basically in Pennsylvania. It's a bar with, where people shoot guns outside once in a while. And on Sundays, one guy shot at a pigeon and either hit it or didn't. Got a bunch of money got exchanged over the bet. Otherwise, <laughs> it was just a bar to hang out in a and there was a pen with some pheasants in it I thought was cool to look at. And every Sunday I'd go up there, and he'd buy me a soda. And that soda was called a green spot. It's something I think is pretty regional. I don't even know if it's around anymore. But it's kind of like a Mountain Dew, except it didn't totally suck. And it was like an 8-ounce bottle, the little the little overturnable bottles like they used to have. Right. That was That was how much soda I got in my life weekly. 
right? Was that eight ounces one, a week? Eight ounces a week. And was that good for me? No, but it probably didn't really do anything that big of a deal bad either. And that's how I think, like, we need to look at these things that are less bad that way. They need to be truly in moderation. Yep. And because, and like, there is something to be said. I'm going to tell you right now, when you come to our workshop, if you want to stay keto, it is not going to be hard at all to do. But there will be other things because it's a four-day party. And, and there is a place in life to enjoy yourself. It's, it's not like I'll never eat a piece of cake again. I just probably won't do it very often. It's probably maybe once every six months. Yeah, that's a perfect strategy. You know. So what are some of the other conditions that you've seen that are that are not just this guy used to be fat? What are some of the other conditions you've seen either stopped, reversed, yeah. or eliminated yeah. with, with, with this way of eating? Yeah, so let's first talk about the things that, that are 100% reversible. So pre-diabetes, completely reversible. When I was at my, my fattest and sickest, my hemoglobin A1C was 6.2. Now it's it's 5.1. I completely reversed mm-hmm. my pre-diabetes. If I had not changed my way of eating at that time, I would have become a type 2 diabetic. It, it, it was inevitable. The second thing is type 2 diabetes. If you have type 2 diabetes, you can completely reverse it with a keto or a carnivore diet. Completely. You'll need no insulin, definitely, and you'll also need no pills if you eat low-carb enough for long enough. Uh, Fatty liver, completely reversible within weeks with a ketogenic or a carnivore diet. And I actually have YouTube videos about all all of those things multiple cases, different types of arthritis, osteoarthritis being the the biggest one. We're taught that, oh, you just wore your joints out, standing on concrete. None of that could be further from the truth. This is an inflammatory condition, and thousands upon thousands of people have reached out to me and said, hey, I was going to have my knee replaced. My knee arthritis was so bad, but after a a few months of keto, my knee doesn't even hurt anymore. And my doctor x-rayed the knee and said it was bone on bone, but it doesn't hurt. Can you explain that mm. to me? And I get I get that email all the time. And so chronic joint conditions get markedly better, if not completely go away, when you're eating the proper human diet. Uh, gut, let's talk about the gut. Irritable bowel, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, reflux, heartburn, gastritis, all of these things get drastically better. When I went from standard uh, American Diabetes Association diet to, to keto, my heartburn, which used to be severe daily heartburn, got 80% better. And so I went from taking two Nexium every single day to taking a Tums or a Rolaid once or twice a week. And then the reason I'm such a big proponent of the carnivore subset of keto is when I went carnivore, my heartburn was gone. Literally. I have not had heartburn in two years. And if anybody suffers from chronic severe heartburn, that's, that's a little bit miraculous. Irritable bowel, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis all get from 70 to 99% less severe when you're eating the proper human diet. And there's research to back these, all these things up, but there's also hundreds of thousands of people who have done this their self. 
And now they're sharing their story with the world. And that's one of the reasons keto is just going nuts is because everybody, it works and it's easy and it's delicious. And so everybody tells their friends about it. I could go on and on for another hour, Jack, about all the things, any particular conditions that, that you've heard about or you're wondering about. Well, I'll tell you what some of the things that happened to me is one, I've suffered for most of my adult life with, especially in the drier parts of the year, cracked heels. My heels would just, yeah. and it, they get to a point where it hurts and you're putting lotion on them or whatever. And they still, it's better, but it still hurts about six months into this. And that was the middle of winter when it's usually the worst. I was sitting on the couch. I had no socks or shoes on. And my wife goes, are you working on your heels? Cause she has this like, thing that women use it's like a freaking rasp right yeah and i'm like no why she goes your feet look normal and i hadn't even really thought about it like you know when you don't hurt you just don't notice it anymore type of thing right i've had several serious injuries to my knees over the years and i've used comfrey as an herbal uh avoided surgery one time i pulled an, an mcl and lcl on opposite sides high and low uh, and mm. a doctor was just convinced there's no way that's going to heal. And I was able to get through it in about three months. And he, my question was, okay, if I don't do this and I need to get it done two months from now, have I lost anything? He said, other than your comfort, no. And I said, okay, well, then we'll wait. Uh, but that's I've always still question. had, you know, I've always had some aches and, and, and things in both of my knees from a, a lot of different things, rock climbing, jumping out of airplanes and other stupid shit I did in my teens and early twenties. Um, but that's all but gone. I mean, just gone. I had a very severe injury to my right shoulder during my military service. I've had several doctors want to do rotator cuff surgery and things like that. That was something I thought I was just going to live with until I had to have surgery. I'm not going to say there's nothing there anymore, but it's it's not like it was. I used to walk to the store, and my wife would listen for me in the adjacent <laughs> aisles because of the cracks my ankles would make. Right. I had, and this is, this goes back forever. This goes back into my twenties. I had a roommate that said he knew when I got up at night and went and looked in the refrigerator because he could hear my, my heels crack through his door. Yep. And that is, let's the, talk about, let's talk about your heels. I want everybody to understand this because this applies to multiple, it, it applies to multiple skin conditions. And mm-hmm. so back when Jack was eating a standard American diet, he was eating a diet that was rich in vegetable oils which contain uh, way too much of an inappropriate fatty acid called omega-6 fatty acids, mm-hmm. linoleic acid. And these inappropriate fatty acids actually get assimilated into your cell membranes. And so the cell membrane of every cell in your skin basically had a membrane that was affected because it was made up of the wrong fats. But when you convert it to a ketogenic diet, the majority of your fats are coming from animal fats. And you greatly, and you probably didn't even do it on purpose, it just happens naturally when you're eating meat and veg, you don't eat vegetable oils anymore. And so now your body has available all the, the proper fatty acids to build your, your cell membranes of your skin cells with. That's why your heels heal. Also, you probably had some fungus, and fungus hates it when you eat keto. If anybody's got toenail fungus or athlete's foot, all, all those things get much better on keto. But this also applies to eczema and psoriasis and acne, all these things get drastically better when you're eating the right kinds of fats and avoiding the inflammatory fats like canola oil, sunflower, soybean, peanut, all those other oils that you just tend to eat far less of those when you're on keto. 
Yeah, definitely. I had some toenail fungus too, and it was bad. And it's not gone, but it is dramatically reduced. And I, yep. I would rather continue to do what I'm doing and let it continue to slowly go away than take something like Lamacil and blow up my liver with it. Um, exactly. Right. I, I just, I something that you take orally that takes years to make fungus go away from a toenail that processes through your liver just does not sound like a good idea to me. I don't care how many times I show that little monster on TV getting squished. It just doesn't seem like the, the, the right thing to do. And that's something I've struggled with since I was in my 20s. And I'm almost 50 now. And, and yeah, to see I, these things reverse uh, is – it's the, the thing about keto is because of how well it works and because of the way the macro arrangement is, it's actually a way of eating. I don't like to call it a diet. A way of eating that you can stay on. It becomes sustainable – it fits into your life. And I think that's one of the one of two big flaws I had with Dr. Atkins. One was you could go on Atkins and you could accidentally end up keto. Right? You, yep. but, but you didn't do it on purpose. Right? And you, you had no guidance toward that side of things. You could go on Atkins and you could be very protein heavy in the macros. And most people were. It wasn't that it did not result in dramatic weight loss. It is, an, in my opinion, for the majority of people, it is an impossible low-carb lifestyle to be yeah, protein-heavy. Yeah, very difficult. You can't do it. You, I'm not saying you – like if somebody puts a gun to your head, yeah, you can. But for basic inert human behavior, if you go low-fat, high-protein, or even moderate-fat, high-protein, it's not satiating enough. You don't fall into a rhythm, and it doesn't make sense because it's not how we ate as beings. Unless we, if you think about it, all the survival food that comes from hunter gatherers is protein dense because protein is what we can store, it's what we can dry, it's what we can smoke, right? Yep. And Indians were smart enough to go, we need some fat in there, so they came up with pemmican. But generally speaking, when indigenous cultures kill something like a buffalo, the very first thing that they eat is the fat and the the, the organ meats. Correct. Because that won't store. And then the, the, the lean is the survival ration, is the way to think of it. So Atkins ends up with you kind of eating the survival ration, and it doesn't make you fat, but it doesn't make you happy either. Exactly. My other problem, And that's why go ahead. my carnivore diet is very high in fat. I, I, I cook in bacon grease and add butter to almost every cut of meat, and I don't even buy lean cuts of meat. No, and if you can afford it, it just it gets expensive. That's the other yeah. limiting factor in how much you can eat. Like the ribeye is the perfect cut of meat for keto. It's yes. almost like God said, "Oh, you'd like a keto cut? Here you go." Grass fed ribeye <laughs> exactly. is like it's it's the macros are there. It's it's everything you know. Throw a little asparagus or something with it if you like veg, and you're done. Um, my other problem though with Atkins is Atkins did nothing to 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 prepare people. Because I think about 50% of people are going to deal with some version of what we call keto flu. And even if you yep. go low-carb without the fat, you have a lot of the same symptoms. And Dorothy will get mad at me. We'll have conversations with people that really need to do this. And I will always tell them about the negative experiences and how you'll have to get through it. And she's like, I, don't, I want them to do it. You know, you're, you're going to talk them out of it or whatever. I'm like, no, I want them – I don't – this is what I think happens to so many people. They try to go keto or low-carb in general. They feel like dog shit after a week or after a day or after two weeks or somewhere. And then they say, well, keto's bad for me because I had these experiences. And right. I think that is incredibly 
a disservice to people because what you're I'm back to my my heroin addiction, right? If you have a person with heroin, I'm not going to tell that person, look, when you quit using heroin, right away you're going to feel great. Right? I'm going to tell that person, look, this is going to freaking suck and since it's heroin, yep. I recommend we get you in a medically uh covered facility to make sure you don't die from withdrawal and it's going to suck and you're going to puke on yourself, but if you want to save your life, this is what we got to do. Keto ain't that bad, but I mean, I got gout. Gout? What the gout? Like this is some bullshit, you know? And <laughs> I got these like pimples that were more like mini boils that would pop up on weird like under my armpit or on the back of my leg. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm getting one. Here it is. It's a little bit bigger than that. I mean like it ain't there. You go to bed, you wake up, there it is all angry. And that's toxins being released as you're burning all that fat. And I've seen a litany of things that happen to people. And I think it's important to prepare people because I've seen like the the midday talk shows do shit like this and they're like they put a person on it for like a week and I felt terrible. Yeah. Well, you're an addict and you gave up your drugs. Yeah. And your body's adapting, I, right? Yeah, and I think the addiction model is is very well used in this situation because many many people, maybe most people are carbohydrate addicts. They have an addiction to sugar or carbohydrates. And so I think your strategy is actually more sustainable. And if you if you would phrase it that look, you're going to go through three to ten days of carbohydrate withdrawal, yeah, because you're addicted to them, then it it makes it sound better when you call it keto flu. It makes it sound like something's wrong with keto, but really what they're experiencing is toxin dumping and carbohydrate withdrawals. And so uh, when when people try to quit smoking, they have they, it, it's called a quitter's flu. When people stop drinking alcohol, they literally have the same exact symptoms mm -hmm. as, quote, unquote, keto flu. Anytime you're breaking an addiction, you're going to have a flu-like syndrome. That doesn't mean go back to smoking and go back to drinking the vodka. It means you've <laughs> got to get through this withdrawal process in yeah. order to get back to good health. And I think when we don't tell people that, we set them up to fail because they assume that I feel bad because this doesn't work for me. And, right, and, and I, then they also become one of those people commenting on all the keto websites saying keto didn't work for it me. It sucks. It, I got all sick, yeah. and it, you know. And I will say, like the initial withdrawal, three or ten days is probably right. Things like rashes and boils yeah. or whatever you want to call it, that shit can go on for months, and it won't continuously do it. It'll flare up as your body gets around to burning that fat from ten years ago. Yes, it just happens to be storing some really nasty toxins. That's that's why they like the mainstream tells you, well, trim the fat off of your beef. Well, if you're eating uh, kfo beef, I kind of agree because that is where all the toxins are. Yeah, you definitely can store some toxins in your fat, and some people do experience some of these side effects of, of toxin dumping as they lose fat. And uh, I, again, I, I don't think that's any reason to stop losing the fat. That's just a, another reason to continue because obviously the diet you were eating previously stored toxins it. in your fat. It's not, yeah, like that's not what our goal is, is to store toxins. Um, and right. I think some people, the other side is, I think about half people maybe have a little bit of uh, withdrawals and then none of this happens to them and, Exactly that, and I think that's the majority experience for most people is that they go through three to ten days of carbohydrate withdrawal, 
and then they're fine. How fat are you and how long are you fat? I think that's a big determining factor in my instance. I've gone up and down in weight multiple times. And this is another reason I'm totally sold on keto. I was sold on low carb long ago. And whenever I wanted to take weight off, I went low carb. And I lost weight. And I was never able to sustain it. And I always felt like I was missing out on something. And when I went keto, I had a completely bizarre effect where I went out and bought all this shit that I would be allowed to eat, all these meats and some cheese and stuff, and I went to my two-meal-a-day thing, and I'd sit there and I'd look at this food in the refrigerator and go, I'm never going to get around to eating that. (laughs) And I had this weird association with food. Like, I wasn't hungry, but I still kind of felt bad that I wasn't eating that today. Right. I don't think people realize the psychological impact of this until you break it. And, and it, it, you actually talked to one of my listeners uh, in an expert counsel segment where you talked about, like, food is probably, I think you said something to the effect of, I think based on what you, you told me, is food is where you're getting your pleasure from, and that does not need to be the case. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I say that all the time. If, if food gives you the most pleasure on a daily basis of all the things in your life, Something's wrong with your food and something's wrong with your life. Mm. You need to work on that because uh, food should not be your primary pleasure of the day. Neither should alcohol, neither should anything you smoke or inject. The the majority of the pleasure that comes from life should be your, your personal interactions with family and friends, your plans for the future, your, your dreams, your goal, learning new things. If that's not the majority of your pleasure each day, buddy, you're doing something wrong. No, I completely agree. Um, What should people do if they've been thinking about this and they kind of want to take first steps and get into this lifestyle? Um, Obviously, your channel is is probably the best resource I know of on the Internet today. Uh, By the way, please, 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 Ken, set up a library TV account and get all your content moved over there as a backup in case YouTube ever approaches mm. you for saying something bad. Um, but I would definitely recommend people get on your channel. But it's a it's a lot of content. It's probably the best environment of content, uh, encyclopedia of content for keto there is. That's a lot, though. Is there, like, I just want to get started. What are my basics? What should that person yep. do? Yeah, so really four steps. Step number one, get rid of all sugar from your diet. Definitely get rid of added sugar, but also try to get rid of most all of the natural sugar. Step two, get rid of all grains, every grain. If it's a grain, don't eat it. Step number three, eliminate all vegetable oils from your diet. And I've got YouTube videos that explain all what are, what are all the grains, what are all the vegetable oils. Then step four, is we're going to call it Dr. Berry's plate. And you're going to cover your plate two-thirds of the way with meat, fatty meat. And so this can be chicken legs or, or chicken wings or chicken thighs with the skin on that you've cooked in lard. Or it can be ribeye. Or it can literally be sardines and spam. It doesn't have to be expensive cuts of meat. And then cover one-third of your plate with veg. And it needs, it doesn't need to be a starchy under the ground tuber. It needs to be dark green veg or colorful veg and boom, 
your keto. Repeat that two or three times a day. For breakfast, have bacon and eggs. When you get tired of bacon and eggs, have eggs and bacon or eggs and sausage. Sausage, sausage and eggs. Yeah. And, <laughs> Ham and, that's and right. eggs. So, yeah. And you, that, that, that literally, that's your start. And so if, if somebody's listening, they want to start first thing in the morning, they're going to wake up and have bacon and eggs. For lunch, they're going to have as many chicken legs as they want and some broccoli. For dinner, they're going to have some cut of beef that's as fatty as they can get. And then they're going to have some turnip greens. Boom. That, that is a perfect keto day. See, and I think one of the ways people can, what happens is people start to feel like, well, I'm only eating the same thing. Well, get a little creative here. Let's take that same piece of beef for dinner. And instead of having, you know, steamed turnip greens tonight, make you a big ass green salad. Throw a little sprinkle of cheese on it. You don't have to have much. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. Maybe especially like a, like a blue cheese or something that has a big bang. For you know, a quarter ounce, half ounce of it has a big bang and return on flavor. Uh, maybe throw a, a little bit of seed on there, some crumbled up, crumbled up bacon for some crisp, and it's a totally different experience. The next day, you had chicken legs. We all take those chicken legs, throw some ginger, and cook that down, and, and make a little Asian style chicken soup out of the other legs that were in that packet. Like, don't think you have to eat just. You can eat the same food every day. But chefs actually build menus on a very few number of actual foods. It's the arrangement. Absolutely. It's the cooking yep. technique, et cetera. There's some things you can do that are, I mean, you want to talk about keto and having high fat. You start adding tallow, I'm not tallow, a marrow to that. You're, you're, oh, yeah. right. So you go and you get a cheap cut of beef, like they call it a beef shin or an oso busco, and you do a slow simmer of that. And, 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 you know, like basically slow cook that stuff until the marrow renders out into the meat. And it's, you know, it's a totally different experience. It's still beef. Yeah, All it changes uh, the part of the cow, right? All it changes the part of the cow and the method of the cook. Right. And you know, a funny little tidbit, most people think that they eat this widely varied diet. But if you just took a random American who's eating a standard American diet and you said, okay, we've been watching you with hidden cameras and here's what you've eaten for the last three weeks. They eat the same thing over and over. But then when they come to keto, they complain about having to eat the same thing over and over, but that's what they've been doing their entire life. And, and the reality is the the choices are basically what I've said is stay away from things that grow under the ground. Yep. And, 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 and grains. That's I mean, almost everything else, as long as we, Put a sanity check on, are there carbs there or whatever, you can eat. And I guess you can even yep. eat some garlic here and there and some onions, even though they have high carbs, because you don't use much of them, you use it for flavor. Uh, but right. like, it's not actually limited at all. I found that my choices are actually less limited because I want to be more creative. So now I'm coming up with, okay, ButcherBox sent me this great pork tenderloin this month. And that's a great protein. Very, very lean. Oh, yeah. What am I going to do with it? Well, I have this package of bacon. Well, maybe if I wrapped mm -hmm. up that pork tenderloin in that bacon, it would have the same macros as a ribeye, but tastes better. You know what, some bitch, it does taste better. It's really good that way. And you're making me hungry, Jeff. You know, I, it, you throw it on the grill. Best. You throw it on the grill, indirect heat, a little bit of uh, redfish magic seasoning, believe it or not, on the bacon, and it just it's fantastic. You, you, pork ribs. I mean, like, there's so many things you can eat 
And that's my other piece of advice for people getting started. Do not focus. Do not worry about what you cannot have. Focus on what you can have. Because yeah. what you can have is, I promise you, you'll if you're doing a two, one, like, I don't know that two meals a day makes sense for the person the day they start. I think you're asking enough of them to get on, onto this new way. But a couple, three weeks in, I think anybody can make that jump if they want to. I agree. Yeah, and another interesting thing I found. And once you do, you're, you're going to, if you're eating two meals a day, you're going to have t- trouble eating all the things that you want to try. For like the first yeah, 90 exactly. days, right? You can be like, oh, I can do this, oh, I can do that. Because my other thing is when they start focusing on what they can't have, you know, I pay attention to all these like groups and forums and stuff. The first thing the new person comes in, how do I make a tortilla? How do I make bread? How, you know, where can I buy a keto potato chip or whatever? And it's like, holy shit, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. mimic their old addiction. It's replacement therapy. It's the same problem yeah. I have with people that move to herbal medicine. Instead of yeah. correcting an imbalance and using herbs to support that, they want to know what herb do I use in replace of aspirin. I can even give you an answer, but I don't think it's what you should do. Sure, white willow bark, but that's not what you should do. That's not the approach you should be taking. You should be taking the approach of why the F do you have a headache, and it might be because you're fat. <laughs> and inflamed, yeah. Yeah. Another another very curious thing that we've noticed in the keto community is that people's palate, their their oh, ability yeah. to taste foods and their ability to enjoy new foods greatly expands. And so what most people after a few months of keto, like you just said, they're looking at new things they've never tried before. Let's try this this kind of what 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 are collards? I've never tried those. I wonder if those are good. And then you start learning about all these other kinds of meat and other cuts of meat that you've literally never tried your entire life. And I found that, that the ketogenic way of eating has greatly expanded my dietary choices. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of, of keto-friendly, natural, real, whole foods out there, but you've just never looked for them before. You know what I would say about that, too? If you try something early on, and you don't like it, unless it makes you wretch and vomit, right? Unless it's that bad, do not yep. be afraid to try it again in four to six months. Yeah, I you're, totally agree. And, you yeah, mentioned and like, the palate. It changes, and your ability does. to taste changes because you're not eating all these artificial flavors. When you actually look what's in food, it is it is toxic ick. And yep. so if you do have something that's sweetened, you find that a tiny amount of sweetener, whether it's traditional sugar or it's something like monk fruit or whatever, the tiniest amount of it is more than enough because you can actually taste it. Like exactly, I, I started drinking because I, I I gave up drinking pretty much at the same time I I, I did this, and uh, I, I was very habitual with always drinking something, and it wasn't really like I need another drink. Is I I had a habit of drinking something. And I started drinking, like, the LaCroix uh, sparkling waters and all. And I found, like, I actually had to get a a smaller – because you drink those, you're like, orange flavor, my ass. There ain't no flavor in there, right? <laughs> but if you put a little bit of stevia in there, all of a sudden you can taste the orange. Kind of like salt brings out a flavor in food. But I had to get a dropper that was capable of putting a smaller drop than one drop out of the dropper that came with it because it was too sweet about three weeks into it. Yeah, exactly. And I still wanted something because, again, it was like oh, – I Okay, I approve, but I still don't taste. I don't know what you're talking about. There ain't no orange flavor here. And yet one little drop <laughs> would bring that out. 
Um, I've also found that, like, I still use, I know you have no, you don't make salt the mortal enemy like mainstream does, but I found that I use less of it because I taste more, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, a lot of people find that, and I'm definitely not anti-salt. Uh, salt is a, a requirement for optimal human function. There's a reason we used to fight wars over it. Exactly. You know? There's a reason that deer in the wild will walk for miles to lick a particular rock or mud. They're not doing that because they're gluttons. They're doing that because they need the salt. So much so that, like in Pennsylvania, it's illegal to use bait for anything you hunt. Like in Texas, these guys buy feeders and throw corn for the deer. Uh, and that's yeah. totally kosher down here. But Pennsylvania, you will get a visit from the rabbit sheriff, and he will take away your gun and take you to jail for doing that. Um, yeah, and Tennessee as well. And it is considered bait to go get, like, go down to Agway, buy a 50-pound block of salt, and stick that out in the woods. Because it will it will bring the deer in better than the corn. Because there's just no natural source in most areas of, you know, that much mineral-rich salt lick. And it's, uh, it is the case that, that animals will travel far from it. I saw this thing when I was a kid. I wish I could find this documentary. This, there was this bushman in Africa. He put um, some seeds in like a, a cavity he, he uh, put in a tree because he wanted to find water. He knew the baboons knew where it was. So the baboon sticks his hand in this hole he made in a tree, puts some seeds in there, and grabs onto them. And he's made this thing where the hand can go in, but once the fist is made, it can't come out. And it's there screaming and yelling. He throws a vine around its neck, ties it up to a tree, and it's there trying to jerk it loose and all. And he throws him a freaking handful of, like, blocks of salt. And the freaking thing eats it. And as soon as he eats it, he cuts him loose. Because he ate so much of it, he went hauling ass to the water, so he followed him, and he knew he would never let him follow him there. It was like a Nat Geo <laughs> or something like that, like you're back with PBS back in the when you had four channels. Yeah. And it, it was, but it was like once he gave him the salt, he couldn't help himself. He ate every bit of it. But as soon as he let him go, it, it might have been some Disney shit where they faked it or whatever. But you just made me think of that, and it, there's probably some validity to it, you know. Oh, there's a, a lot of validity behind uh, Nisha's grandfather's house on his farm. There's a this huge declivity in the just the ground out in the uh, in the woods. That's about four feet deep. It's about 10 feet wide, 12 feet long, and it's about four feet deep. And that's a salt lick. That for mm. whatever reason, that mud is, is very salt rich. And the deer have been coming for decades. And they just lick the mud up out of that one spot. And, uh, of course, you know, in Tennessee, it's also illegal to bait, even with salt. But her grandfather had a strategically placed stand there by that naturally occurring salt lick. And that he did like very well there. That's something like one of them naturally occurring salt licks we used to create accidentally. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There just must be a salt mine under there or something next to the coal. I don't know. But, yeah, man, uh, tell people how they can learn more about you uh, and, and your work and all that good stuff. So I've got the book called Lies My Doctor Told Me, and that's available at all bookstores. There's also an audible if you're like me and Jack and you've got ADD and you want to multitask. You can listen to it while you do other stuff. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. If you just go to YouTube and, and search for Dr. Barry, I think you'll find me. I've got a, uh, a Facebook page. Just search for Dr. Barry on Facebook. I'm also on uh, Twitter, YouTube, um, Instagram, Parlor, Gab. I'm even on TikTok, Jack, believe it or not. TikTok. Are you there doing yeah. any, any dances? 
No, I'm not dancing. I'm talking. I'm trying to reach those teenagers with that terrible acne and tell them, hey, I can completely reverse that if you'll just listen to me. That's cool, man. And and people should know if they want to – well, I should say people should know if they're coming here, they're going to get to meet you. I was going to say if they come here, they can get to meet you. But we sold out that workshop in like 10 minutes when we put the tickets on sale. So there's about 60 folks coming to the workshop plus staff and instructors that will get to meet you in November, you'll be here at my house. And I think that'll be a pretty cool opportunity for people. But uh, yeah, we're very excited. We can't wait. Um, Jack, and let me just say this, Jack's been a hero of mine for, for years, probably over a decade. I was listening to Jack when he was in the car. So it's been a minute. That's 12 years. That's 12 years ago. Over a decade. And I've well, learned so much from Jack. So you guys are in the right place. You just need to shut up and pay attention. Well, I think we're going to, between you, me, we've got Xavier Hawk coming, Nick Ferguson, uh, Nick Colesauce will be here. I mean, it's going to be, there might be some sort of like nuclear fusion occur with the, <laughs> with the, 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 the cool factor. There's many people that are this awesome together in one place. And uh, man, I, I appreciate you taking some time to be here. And I appreciate you being here on the air with me today, Ken. I'll make sure links to all the stuff you mentioned, all your social media, your website, your book, your YouTube channel, etc., cetera, uh, are all available uh, in the show notes today. Thanks so much, Jack. It's always a pleasure. All right, man, that works. Um, do you happen to have a playlist that's like a beginner's playlist? Yeah, it's called Keto 101. Let me, let me write playlist. that down. I'll find it, and I'll make sure that's in the notes, too. Okay. Yeah. I'll just make sure I'll link to that. I'll link to your channel, but I'll link to that that playlist for you separately. And I didn't want yeah. to ask once I thought about it in case you had, the answer was no. So what I'll do when I do my <laughs> intro and my outro, when I do my outro, I'll mention that playlist is in the show notes too for you. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, man. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to you being here. I'm going to probably this week is when I'll get an email sent out to all the instructors about the stuff you need to know where you can download the document the, the students get because it's got a lot of good information on it and all. And uh, I will tell you, since this always happens, my instructors end up out of the loop if they're not regular instructors. Um, we do a thing on Friday night called Barter Blanket. It is an incredibly cool bonding thing, and I'd think about maybe some stuff you can bring for that. Um, okay. And it could be little bitty stuff. It can be middle-of-the-road stuff. It could be high-end stuff. We have everything go on there from – People that like candles or beef jerky to people trading guns and other things that the law doesn't need to know about. Nice. <laughs> We've nice, had people nice, trade, yeah. you know, a week at a beach house. I mean, there's all kinds. It's, it's it's funny what happens. It's It starts out itty-bitty. But I, the one rule, if you get it early, like, just, we'll explain the rules and all later. But if you get on it early, don't if you have something big, don't throw that shit out in the beginning. Let that build. Because it, it deflates it when somebody when somebody throws like a five thousand dollar sniper rifle on the blanket, it's like the third item to be on the blanket. It just fucks everything up. Because then people are like looking at their like you know their canned tomatoes or something like fuck, I got nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah, like Steve Harris threw a still on it like first item one one time I had in here. Oh, wow. You're such a dick, but <laughs> but I, Dorothy's home. I'll get with her. I'll have her email you about that that Airbnb. That might be okay. a better option for you than the hotel. Yeah, that'd be perfect. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Jack. Talk to you later. Take care, bro.
Bye. Bye. And you know, there at the end, I forgot to ask him, and I, I did uh, offline once we stopped recording to make sure that I could find out for you. I knew he had a uh, a playlist for getting started, like because we he went through a lot of it there. But if you just like, I want to get started. He has a, a playlist called Keto 101, and they're they're brief, very specific videos for like your first couple weeks. If you want to follow my journey, I have over 40 videos on my channel that are just dedicated to this way of eating. And you, you it starts about three and a half weeks into things. I've already lost a lot of weight by the time of the first video, and I still look fat. My fingers look fat. That's not good. When your fingers look fat, you've got a problem. And I'd already lost a lot of weight, and I was already doing a lot better. And it was in the making of those videos. I knew that I knew that this time had to be different. And I went straight back to regular old, like I talked about, just low carb, Atkins, protein power, etc. And as I was doing it, I learned more about more and more and more about keto. I thought about Ken's comments about it. There were really asides. He never really came on the show at that point and, and had really gone deep into keto specifically yet. And I said, I'm going to give this a chance. And as soon as I did, everything changed. It went from hard to easy. I still had those keto flu symptoms and crap like that that I talked about, but it got easy. Everything got easy. Even cutting the drinking, almost nothing got easy. Really quick. Didn't seem quick at the time. Took a couple weeks, like he said. But once I got through those couple weeks, it got easy. Have a zit breakout or a rash breakout here and there. Had a freaking gout month into it, you know, when it was still dealing with detoxing. But uh, it wasn't hard. It was just a bump in the road. Anyway, he's got that playlist for you, Keto 101. I've got Jack's Low Carb and Keto Journey for you as well in the show notes. All the other stuff Ken talked about are in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I don't get real, real serious with things very often. I, I don't. I, I, I give you advice and say, hey, do what you want with it. You know, you want to grow a garden, grow a garden. You don't want to grow a garden, don't grow a garden. That, that type of thing. I don't get on your own. You know, it's really important to me that you grow a garden. You're going to die without it. I don't, I don't do shit like that. I don't go to extremes. Stay level-headed. But I'm going to tell you flat out. I know that more than 50% of the people hearing my voice right now can dramatically improve their lives if they'll do this. I know that. I know that probably 10 to 20%, just based on the averages of the numbers in America, this will save your life. I know that 10 to 20% of this audience, based on, because I know the average age of this audience, okay? Because I have demographic data on, on my audience. That based on the basic numbers and the average human lifespan in our country today, and based on how many people die young of these complications and diseases, that somewhere between 10 to 20% of this audience will die within 10 years. That do not have to. So I'm being serious. If you are not in perfect health, and you aren't doing this, try it for three months and see what happens. And after three months, if you're like, oh, this sucks, then stop doing it. But do me a favor, don't try it for two weeks and say, I don't like the way I feel and quit. Get through the keto flu. Get through the withdrawals. Get off the dope. Because carbohydrates are dope. And I am being deeply serious right now because I know that I know that if one person 
that, w that, that listened through this but wasn't going to do it, if one person out of all of them listens to me right now and does it and makes that extra step, it's going to save their life. And one life is worth taking that little bit of extra time at today. And I'm hoping it's more than one. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, you will help us out no matter what you buy. The item I have for you today is a keto-friendly device, a kitchen tool, not something to eat, but something you use for things you do eat, the Bosca Cheese Slicer. Yes, cheese is legal on keto. You can overdo it, but this will help you out because it cuts really thin slices of cheese. This thing is made in Holland. My my wife's family is from Holland. They eat cheese like I've never seen before in my life. These are people that put butter on cheese. No, I'm not kidding. They put butter on cheese. <laughs> serious. I am serious as a heart attack. They put butter on cheese, and it's good. And there's a specific cheese that we buy. We actually order it because buying it by the little piece in the store is stupid expensive. We order like a quarter to a half a wheel at a time from a place called, I think it's called the Dutch Cheese Shop. And uh, it's called Leiden. It's an amazing cheese, and it's got caraway seeds in it. Uh, we also order from them an aged Gouda. That's, I, I didn't know there was aged Gouda until we found that place to order the Leiden from. And aged Gouda is a cheese that everybody should know about, and most people don't. Um, they even have like super aged Gouda that it won't work with this thing because it's too crumbly. But this thing is not for that block of $2 cheddar cheese that you buy. It'll work on it, but it's really not great for that. It's better for your high-end cheeses. And it's a very simple looking thing. It almost looks like a little spatula. And you push it down on the cheese and you pull it and it makes this nice shaved thin slice. It's a surface area thing. And it makes cheese taste better. And you use less and it tastes better. I'm not kidding. I, you got to try it. Um, you know, Parmesan, uh, Parmesan Reggiano, Pecorino Murano, Machego, cheeses like that. Your hard to medium hard cheeses that are higher end cheeses that you, you know, you buy a, a, a triangular shape because they cut it out of a wheel. That's really what this works best for. And this was like 13 bucks or something like that. It is totally worth it. We have another one. Other than this one, and I saw my wife today, and she was using a vegetable peeler to do it to cut cheese thin like this. I'm like, how does that work? She's like, terrible. I'm like, why are you using? It? She goes, I can't find our Bosca, so I ordered a new one. She's apparently she's been looking for it about like three weeks now. Doesn't know where it went. I guess the gnomes that steal my sharpie markers, my my toenail clippers, um, and, and uh, my tape measures got her her cheese uh, cutter. Uh, but I ordered a new one today, and I'm like, you know, I haven't run that thing in a while, so I, I brought it back around. You really want to try this. And when it comes to the Leiden cheese, if you can find it with those caraway seeds, when you make that thin cut, it kind of fractures them. It's compared to cutting a piece off with a knife, it is totally different. I don't completely understand it. I do know it's a service area thing, but give it a shot. Totally worth adding this to your kitchen. And most of the ones we've tried sucked. We had an old, old one like came from her family, and the wood handle just crumbled off of it eventually. And that's when we found the Bosco one. I, I, at this point, I believe the Dutch know what they're doing. I wouldn't buy one made anywhere else. And you can help us out no matter what you buy as long as you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. And that brings us to our song of the day. And even though this was kind of a high-energy episode, this is Chill Out Week. 
These are all songs that I listen to when I want to sit on my back porch and just chill. And I'm trying to bring you variety this week. I started out with a country song by Chris Stapleton. Then, yesterday, I brought you part of the uh, British Invasion, Van Morrison, uh, with the kind of a, a classic rock uh, slow song. From I believe that song's from the late 60s or early 70s. We're in the same time frame, but we're going more Motown today. Bill Withers. This song's called Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. And I've always taken this song, and I guess it's right in the music, but I've always really kind of thought about it as, uh, you know, really wanting that woman to come back because you love her so much. But the woman in this song's a bad woman. Not good for the man at all. And, I mean, it's right in the one lyric, hey, I ought to leave that young thing alone. But ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Bill said about this song where it came from. He explained he was watching a movie called Days of Wine and Roses from 1962 with Lee Remick and Jack Lemmon. Both were alcoholics who were alternatively weak and strong. It's like going back for seconds on rat poison. Sometimes you miss things that weren't particularly good for you. It's just something that crossed my mind from watching that movie and probably something else that happened in my life that I'm not aware of. And this song was like a bunch of really amazing people were involved in its creation. Um, Booker T. Jones is the keyboards in this song. Steven Stills uh, it was on guitar. Uh, Al Jackson and Donald Dunn were involved with this song. Um, Jack Keltner, Bobby Hall. And there is the, the one part of the song where he's like, I know, I know, I know, I know, and it just kind of rolls that. Well, he actually thought it was like a placeholder. And he didn't, as iconic as that's become, he didn't want to leave it that way. He, he was like, I want to write some words to fit in there. And basically all these big-time people had already made it. And he was working in a warehouse when he, when he recorded this song. He had not made it by any stretch of the imagination yet. And uh, they all told him, no, leave it alone. And he said, man, with that, that kind of a group of people and a general consensus to let it be, I, I decided I was going to do that. This became his first big hit. And probably his, man, it's probably his second biggest hit. Lean on me is probably a little bit bigger of a hit. But it was actually the B side of a single called Harlem. But the radio people decided to play this one instead, and it took him to stardom. But I mean, imagine recording your first record, your first album, and sitting in are Booker T. Jones and Stephen Stills and Bobby Hall. Donald Dunn and Al Jackson involved in producing that record. Got to believe it was kind of meant to be. With that, chill out and enjoy the rest of the day. It's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. When she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay 
ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away And I know, I know, I know, I know Sunshine when she's gone Only darkness every day Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away 